Well, I'll tell you, these uh, worship leaders, the uh, kingdom kid, you know, servants that come early and stay late and service with their gifts and talents are really, really, really appreciated. You guys are amazing. You've inspired us uh, time after time when we're in uh, North River. And uh, I really want to say it's uh, such an honor and such a privilege uh, for Sue and I to be here uh, this weekend, to be here this morning. How's everybody doing? I know you guys get up a little bit earlier than the rest of, uh, rest of those folks out there uh, to come to church and to, and to be together and to worship God. I've been so encouraged just even already this morning, uh, just being uh, together. You know, when I was working in the office place, I was always struck by how powerful it was just to come on a Sunday morning and enjoy things like singing and enjoy things like praying with others because we didn't do that very much in, in the office that I worked in. And so it's always awesome to come and just remember the Lord and connect and, and to, uh, to, to, to pour out our hearts in prayer, to be able to give hugs, to be able to get some encouragement like Ross was talking about, and just to, uh, to worship God together. It's such a unique thing that we get to do. It's such a uh, unique and powerful thing that really uh, is meant to strengthen us as we go uh, back into our workplaces, we go back into our neighborhoods this week to really bring, uh, to bring that power and that faith and that radiance that really only comes from God. Uh, it really is just an honor and a privilege for Sue and I to be here this morning. Uh, thank you for uh, letting us come. Thank you for being you and being such an awesome place to come and kind of consider sort of a second home for us. I do bring you greetings from Burlington, Vermont. And I don't know if you even know if that's in the United States. It's quite far north. I don't know if you've ever been there before. But uh, it's an awesome place. It snows almost every day in the winter. Uh, it is about 10 inches of snow uh, on the ground right now. I think it was about minus 2 this morning. And uh, we, were looking at the, uh, we were looking at the phone the other day and realizing it was minus 2 in Burlington. It was 72 in Atlanta. And so it made us even more eager to come and to be with you here. Let's pray together and let's ask God to really bless uh, our time in the scriptures uh, this morning. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, it is such an honor and such a privilege that, Father, we can become so familiar with just to open up the scriptures, just to talk to you. Father, you're available to us anytime, any place. Father, 24-7, uh, you want to talk to us. You want to hear our voice. You want to hear our longings. You want to work in our lives. You want to walk with us. Father, thank you so, so much. Father, as we open up the scriptures this morning, help us to be amazed. Father, as we open up the scriptures this morning, help us to hear your words to us personally. We know you're, you're trying to talk to us. You're trying to help us. You're trying to inspire us to live this life well. And Father, we just pray that we could uh, hear your voice. And Father, really, really resolve and commit to putting into practice the things that you have for us. Father, bless our time by your spirit this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, uh, 37 years ago on Friday... Uh, this past Friday, I was 18 years old. I was uh, traveling around the country, living out of my Jeep, Cherokee. I was working odd jobs, and I wandered into uh, to Boulder, Colorado. I was really seeking God. I was looking for my life's purpose. And there in, in, in Boulder, Colorado, I, I found this, this community, 
this community of Jesus followers that uh, Tom and Kelly Brown had really devoted themselves to building in Boulder, Colorado. I studied the Bible intensively because I saw young men my age that were really striving to live it out. And they were following this guy called Jesus who became, you know, my hero and who I saw how he, he, faced, uh, he faced intense trials, and yet he overcame. He's led us to so many great things in the, in the history of the world. And so I was studying about him, and we were studying about how to follow him. And I was studying the Bible intensively. Three days later, I made Jesus Lord. I made the decision to commit my whole life to him, to repent of my sins, to be baptized into his death, burial, and resurrection, and it changed everything for me. I was amazed that God had heard the voice, that God had heard me crying out to him, this, this kid from New Jersey, a nobody who was seeking him and with his own kind of voice asking God to lead me and to help me, and sure enough, he did. Jesus changed everything in my life. You know, yesterday, as we talked about parenting and being family strong, we we looked at Jesus in John chapter 13 because it's such an incredible model of a team of people who are facing incredible challenges in their life and how he, how he leads them and how he nurtures them and how he serves them. He literally stoops down and washes their feet. And we talked about having that kind of spirit in our families and dads who are servant leaders and dads who love deeply and express the the, the true extent of our love to our families and our, our, our wife, our kids. You know, last night we talked about being best friends forever at our marriage uh, enrichment time together. And we just kind of shared memories of uh, times when we'd really built our friendship, fun times. And we talked about having, having faith, being best friends forever in fun and in faith and celebrating marriage. You know, uh, all these things center around God's vision for us. God's got an incredible vision for us. And if I've learned anything over the years, I've learned this. That if I want to be a healthy and vibrant and joyful and flourishing human being, I need to train with Jesus. I need to dig in with him. I need to train with him. I need to let him look me in the eye, talk to me about what it means to be a man, Talk to me about what it means to be a flourishing, thriving human. Talk to me about stuff that's in my own life. And then take those steps of risk and take those steps of faith to say, it's not just you, Jesus, that's really meant to live this incredible life. It's meant for me too. If I want to be a strong man, if I want to be a strong woman, if we want to be strong men, if we want to be strong women... If we want to be strong dads or moms or students or leaders, strong in the workplace, strong husbands, strong wives, if we want to overcome adversity in our life, if we want to overcome stress in our life, if we want to be people of courage, if we want to find the strength to forgive, if we want to try and find the strength to connect, then we need to train with Jesus. We don't have to. We don't have to. God says, hey, if you want to live life on your own terms, if you want to go your own way, have at it. Go for it. That's up to you. We don't have to train with Jesus. We get to train with him. We get that incredible, extraordinary opportunity to train with him. You know, Jesus is going to get us there. He promises it. You know, I spent a few years in Tokyo, Japan, 
And I met a guy on Wasada University campus one time. He said, hey, you're telling me about Jesus? I said, yeah, I'm talking about Jesus. He said, you know, even my teacher, my Buddhist teacher, teaches us about Jesus. And he pulled out this book out of his pocket. He said, my teacher says that Jesus was the most powerful spiritual being to ever live. And I thought to myself, yeah, I get to follow him, and you can too. But Jesus has made this global impact. He was a nobody from Nazareth. He didn't have the education. He didn't have the prestige. He didn't have the money. But because of the power of his spirit and because of the power of his life and his love and his leadership, he is an inspiration to all of humanity. He's inspired every aspect of humanity. You know, I wrote a book about it. And today uh, the book is coming out. It's called Jesus Leadership. And it's really just a kind of a guide for us to get into the dojo of, of, of Jesus' training and to practice with him every day. So we become more and more like him in his spirit, become more and more like him in his character, become more and more like him in his courage. I'll be out in the hallway a little bit later. I'd love to talk with you about it. Today, we're beginning, um, we're beginning Women's Month, which is really exciting. And uh, I know it's going to be an awesome month of really kind of highlighting women, and the theme is simplify. And like, um, like Jeff was talking about, I think even all the guys were kind of going, well, maybe we could kind of, you know, uh, stop by the women's days and get a little bit of simplifying in our own lives. Today, uh, it's, we're going to be talking about simple respect as we talk about Luke chapter 7, and as we talk about how Jesus respected women so deeply. He respected and he honored their dignity uh, so, so deeply. You know, I wanted to say something, though, today to all of us that I really believe is from God. And it's this. It's that you are amazing. You are incredible. You are awesome. You are extraordinary. You are gifted. You are created for wonder. You're created for health. You're created for greatness. Every single one of us. And we really need you. We really need to fan into flame the gifts that God has created you with. We really need for you to be healthy and strong according to God's plan for your life and for mine. God created us with an incredible capacity for life and for love and for dignity and for power and for health and for impact. We find in Genesis chapter 1. That, Jesus, that God was so pleased when he made man. And he said, you know, he said, be fruitful. And he said, multiply. He said, fill the earth and subdue it. It says that he made man in his image. He made woman in his image. And he was so happy about it. And he gave us so much potential. And he kind of almost said to us, hey, the world is your playground. Go and have a good time. The world is, is yours for the taking. Go and have a good time. I've created you to go and Go and enjoy. And indeed, God created everything for our enjoyment. But the challenge was that we, we kind of thought we knew better than God. And we thought we kind of had a better angle on life. We thought we, uh, you know, we, we could uh, kind of figure out life a little bit better than him. And so we kind of went our own way. And we got involved in sin. And sin started to uh, show up in anger and in selfishness and in deceit and in violence and uh, in taking one another for granted. It showed up in extreme insecurity. It showed up even in, in Genesis chapter 4 as two brothers who were faced with a choice. Their names were Cain and Abel. 
And the Lord came in verse 6 to, uh, to Cain. He says, why are you angry? And why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door and desires to have you. But you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And so we go from the Garden of Eden and we go from God's great vision for humanity. This is who you are. This is how blessed you are. This is all that I have for you to this. One brother envying another brother saying, come on now to the, out to the field. And Cain takes his own brother's life. You know, I was at a diversity uh, talk uh, with two brothers from Boston, uh, Daryl and Van Owens. And uh, they talked about how really what was set in motion right here was this cycle of injury. And how it's been perpetuated by humans for generation after generation after generation. This cycle of insecurity. That when I feel insecure around you, when you've done something better than me, then I feel a need to overpower you. I feel a need to exert sort of my, my, uh, my power over you in a way that oftentimes leads to, to, uh, to violence and to anger and to hatred. It's this cycle of injury... It's a cycle of hatred, it's a cycle of revenge, a cycle of struggle, a cycle of war, a cycle of marginalizing one another, trying to control one another. And what God says is that's not your, that other person there, that man in front of you, that woman in front of you, that person of another race in front of you, uh, your child in front of you is not your enemy. In fact, they're just as valuable as you are. They have just as much dignity as you have. Yeah, you have different gifts. Yeah, oftentimes you have different roles. But they're just as valuable. They're just as priceless as you are. They're not your enemy. He says sin is crouching at your door and desires to master you. You must master it. And really together we're meant to, we're meant to go to battle against sin which is trying to take humans out, not to go to battle against one another. You know, Jesus came to change the cycle of injury. And he came to, to change it to a cycle of respect, a cycle of service, a cycle of dignity, where Jesus literally, as the son of God, as son of man, got down on his knees and washed, his, washed our feet. He died for us, and he lifted us up. To say, really, in many respects, you're better than I am. You're more worthy than I am. I love you. I'm going to serve you. And that's the cycle that he sets into motion. You know, we killed him. We tortured him. We ridiculed him. We brought our best forces of evil against him. And then, he, and then we crucified him and he died. And he talked about coming back. We weren't sure if he would or not. But sure enough, Jesus came back. But he didn't come back as we expected. He didn't come back with weapons of war to take us out. He didn't come back with weapons of revenge. He didn't come back with anger and with violence. He came back with a vision. He came back with love. And when he was meeting his friends on the shore that morning, he made breakfast for them. They came onto the shore, and he just reminded them of the vision that God had created them for. 
And he said, I'm there with you all the way. Let's go do this together. Let's look over in Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. I want to read this uh, verse to you, this, uh, this, this uh, account to you. This is our theme verse for today. And it's Luke chapter 7. It's starting in verse 36. And I want to ask you to kind of put yourself into this scenario, to put yourself into this situation. Because uh, Jesus isn't just kind of um, doing this kind of for a good story. He's doing this because he wants, to, he wants for us to kind of enter his dojo. You know, uh, a dojo is a place where we practice the way. And I think oftentimes when we open up the Bible, we kind of read it, we kind of, uh, you know, think about it, and then we put it back on its shelf. When what really the Bible is meant to be is kind of a workout journal for us. Where Jesus says, if you'll hear my words and put them into practice, you're going to become like indestructible in life. You're going to dig down deep, you're going to lay your foundation on rock, and you're going to become someone who can face any storm and any challenge and any trial just like he did. But we got to go into training. We got to be willing to kind of go into the dojo. We got to go be willing to go into the, um, you know, the Sulo's body combat at the gym. We got to be willing to go into his class, into his Zumba class, and not just listen to the music, but do the workout. And so as Jesus is, uh, is, 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 is doing his thing here in Luke chapter 7, I really want to encourage us to imagine. I really want to encourage us to be there and to think about what he's talking about, to think about what he's trying to teach us personally, to think about what he's trying to help you and me to hear about our lives and about our hearts and about how we treat one another and in particular about how we treat, how we treat women. You know, women in these times, in Jesus' times, were treated as property. Women were marginalized. Women were often shut in and denied the basic human rights. Oftentimes, priests would pray things like, thank God I'm not a Gentile, I'm not a criminal, and I'm not a woman. There's a tremendous prejudice. There was a tremendous pride. And, and women as humans that God created, women as humans that God dignifies, that God loves equally as men, were under attack. And so Jesus comes into this situation and he's invited in verse 36 into a Pharisee's home. And I think probably what you can imagine is he goes into this home and it's probably an opulent kind of home. And, you know, typically there was a kind of a uh, a reception before uh, the invited guests were, were called to come to the, to, the, to the dinner table. And Jesus was one of those who was invited to uh, the dinner table of this Pharisee. And so there was the people who were the invited guests who went to the dinner table. There were probably others who were kind of milling about. And so we kind of come into this scene. And if we can sit there, if we can really imagine this, if we can really go into this situation with Jesus, there's something there for all of us. There's something there for all of us that can literally change our lives this morning. It can literally change our relationships this morning. It can revolutionize our family. It can revolutionize our character. But we've got to open up our ears to hear and to listen and to let God in. So as I read through this, I want you to ask yourself, what am I hearing? I want to ask you, what words sort of jump off the page? 
What words kind of glow on the page that God has for you? What, what statements, what situations? Underline them. Star them. Circle them. Think about them. Later on, talk about them. Because that way they kind of get into your heart and they really start to change who we are and how we treat one another. And how we think about God and how we think about one another. In verse 36, now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. And so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And when a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is and that she's a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. He said, tell me, teacher. Two women owed, a, owed money to a certain moneylender and one owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back and so he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. He says, you've judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she poured for perfume on my feet. And therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say amongst themselves, who is, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You know, Jesus had this incredible way of connecting with real people. Jesus wasn't a religious dude. Jesus wasn't saying a lot of religious stuff. Jesus had this almost strange way, even says a little bit earlier, of becoming a friend of tax collectors and sinners. They call him a drunkard and a glutton because he hung out with people like that so much. And he attracted those kind of friends and he felt comfortable among them and they felt drawn out by him. They felt so loved by him. And so here comes this woman who who in some ways, you know, some people think that she was so disgusted by how Jesus had been treated by this Simon guy, this Pharisee, that she came in to almost kind of to his defense, to, 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 to wash his feet and to honor him because he hadn't been honored. He hadn't been recognized at all for who he was, and she loved him so much. You know, I don't know about you, but when I read this, I am all at once so humbled by this and so kind of wrecked by this. But then I'm also so inspired by this. And that's what I find when I just kind of follow Jesus along the road and, and, and look at him and try to learn from him and observe him. Is I, I marvel at how, what a humble, relatable man he was, but how powerful and inspirational and how revolutionary he was. And that's how I feel when I read this. You know, um, in my fear and in my insecurity, I'm just like Simon. I can be so religiously superficial. You know, I can be so judgmental. I can, I can, you know, look at people and because of my own insecurity, I just kind of want to put a label on them because somehow it helps me to feel more comfortable with, with who I am. And somehow it gets me to feel a little bit better than myself. 
a little bit better about myself if I can label others and kind of justify my own weaknesses and justify my own sins. I tend to look down on others. And I just see in my own life this perpetuating of the cycle of injury. Sue, I'd love for you to come on up. And, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, I, was, I was talking with Nick the other day, and he had done this lesson with the campus students about how American consumerism actually enslaves a lot of people in developing countries. And sort of our way of life oftentimes, oftentimes marginalizes and it's, uh, you know, others, and it's kind of built on the backs of the developing world. And so sometimes, you know, the things that we kind of take for granted in America that are kind of easy to buy, someone else kind of, you know, was enslaved to, to make that. And so it kind of makes you more thoughtful about that. Like, what is the impact of my life? Am I perpetuating this cycle of injury sometimes without even knowing it? I was speaking with a woman uh, the other day, a sinful woman. I was speaking with a sinful woman, and she was speaking with a sinful man, me. And we, she was sharing with me a situation where she was talking with another woman who was loaning her car out to a mom because the mom needed it to take her underage daughter to go see a man who was paying her for sex. And so this woman was trying to loan her car to another woman. Ah, what have we done? Who are we? How have we gotten into this cycle of injury? There's so much desperation there. There's so much rationalization there. And I can personally go there so easily. And we've got to recognize this. We've got to become self-aware about this. You know, I was having a conversation with Mackenzie, my daughter, the other day. And, and I, you know, I, I, I treasure her. She's amazing. She's beautiful. She's the most extraordinary young woman I've ever met. She's incredible. She just moved here. She got her first job as a, as a registered nurse. I'm so proud of her. But I need to grow in my relationship with my daughter. And it's easy for me to even put that sort of on, on, on autopilot. And uh, we were talking about that. I, I really want to be a better dad. I want to be the best dad I can be. I want to be the greatest dad I can be. And, uh, and I need help with that. You know, with all these religious tendencies in me to follow in this cycle of injury, uh, thanks be to God that Jesus shows us a different way. Thanks be to God that Jesus shows us a different way. Can I get an amen on that one? Amen. Jesus shows us a radically different way. It's the way of service. It's the way of lifting up others as better than yourself. It's a way of loving and honoring the dignity of another human being. And, uh, and, 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 and uh, you know, um, really uh, lifting up their, their dignity and their, their, their worth and their value. You know, uh, Jesus shows us the way of faith, hope, and love. Jesus shows us and teaches us the cycle of inspiration, the cycle of life, the cycle of dignity, the cycle of leadership, the cycle of courage. Well, I think Steve like, is like the most extraordinary human because he shows me so much respect and I feel like what an honor to follow uh, a man who follows God because it's just been an honor to be married for 30 years. And so, um, you know, I love this story because, you know, this woman's Jesus moment, her story is still changing us in our world 2,000 years later. And, you know, our story as women still does the same thing. We still are getting to change the world because of our story and our connection with Jesus. 
You know, I love how it says a woman who had a sinful life, because then you just go, all right, it's no name, so it can be me. You know, it's like Sue, the woman who had lived a sinful life. And uh, I love that God does that over and over again. It just says, a notorious sinner, a sinful woman, the woman at the well, to remind us that we're all the same, that we all desperately need him. You know, it's so interesting in this story because Jesus was invited to this gathering. And I don't know about you, but I really like getting invited to parties. And that was sort of my MO back in the day was like, I was sort of the party person. And, um, and yet I was talking to a friend of mine and he was saying how the reason he ended up coming to church for the first time in San Diego was this girl had invited him at the mall to come to this big church service. And she gave him an invitation and he's like, no, I'm not really interested. And she said, okay, give it back. And he's like, what? She goes, this is a precious invitation. If you're not taking it, I need it for somebody else. And it impressed him so much that this invitation was so important that he went, ended up studying the Bible and became a Christian and is one of our best friends. But uh, the power of an invitation, right? But you know what's so amazing about Jesus is that, okay, was this woman invited to this party? No, she wasn't. But she showed up. She was gutsy. She was brave. She was so humble. She was so broken. She was so herself, mess and all. And why? Because Jesus gives us all the open invitation to come to him. And she knew it. Jesus makes us brave because with Jesus, there's no shame. There's just total freedom and respect. It's funny, when I thought 35 years ago about what being a Christian woman was, I was like, well, I gotta like sit around and bake bread and be submissive and be quiet. Like that was like sort of my understanding of being a Christian woman. And when I encountered the real Jesus, I saw something totally different. You know, Steve talks about this a lot, but it's like Jesus didn't come to bring religion, he came to bring a party. And he came to bring a party of full acceptance, being fully loved for who we are, being fully at home. You know, he says like, I see you, Sue. I see you in your mess, but I also see your potential. You know, everything about Jesus is seeing us for who we really are. You know, Jesus is like, I started the Me Too movement. Come on, Me Too, I see you. You know, he started the aha moments. He started the be brave and be vulnerable because that's what we get to have with him. I mean, he started it from the very beginning, all these even women's movements. Jesus was there from the beginning saying, yep, that's who I am. I'm approachable. I see your mess. I see who you get to become. I see you for who you are, but I also see you for all the glorious future that you too, your story, because you hang with me, is gonna bring about something revolutionary and you're gonna change other people's lives. I think for me, the biggest thing that Jesus has seen in me is my purposelessness all those times when I was younger and the honor that I have, this party of purpose that I get to live, to see other people's lives change. Again, not only is this woman's story still being told and thousands of women are becoming Christians all over the world because of her story, the very next chapter in chapter eight, Jesus's entire ministry is bankrolled by women, pretty much, if you look on to chapter eight. I mean, God used women so powerfully during this time. It really is something amazing. You know, we as women get this open invitation all the time and he says, hey, come, come walk on some water. Like step out, let's make some miracles happen. Let's see some miracles happen in our own lives. 
He says, come follow me. I want to make you so into something really great. Not just when you were 20, but even as you're entering your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, there's more and more that I'm going to cultivate in you to be able to make an impact on other people's lives. He's like, the biggest invitation to me is, hey, come. I give you an open invitation. Come to me, you who are weary, and I will give you rest. And I want to take Jesus up on that invitation a lot to come to him when I'm weary. You know, Jesus had the ultimate hangability factor that you could hang with him at any time. And I love it because the most religious people of those times, that's who the lepers and the prostitutes and the women stayed away from, was the ones that felt like they were too spiritual to be connected to to, um, ungodly people. And yet my favorite word is Jesus' hangability. He's like, hey, it's so easy for this woman to come up and be broken and hang with him. You know, I love that this extravagant love that Jesus showed for me, it just makes your heart like burst because it's so, you can be so thankful to be forgiven. There's a song, I don't know where it came from, but I remember after I got baptized, it's a song about, I'm forgiven, now I got a reason for living. Jesus keeps giving and giving. And I just feel that way, like what an honor. You know, in Psalm 3, this is why I wanted to close here. This, this psalm to me says it all about the invitation that we get to take as women to be empowered, to be ourselves. In verse um, 3 of Psalm 3, it says, You lift high my head when I bow low in shame. And I keep thinking about God is constantly coming up to us going, Hey, chin up. We got people to go impact. Chin up. I forgive you. Chin up. New day. New heart. New start. New part. And I feel that, that, you know, every time I come before him, it can be tiara tiara time. I can just like chin up. It's time to get your crown back on and get moving. And that is the incredible honor you see as he approaches this woman, that she really did experience that full love. And I can literally have chin up. It's time to party. So just wanted to share that with you.